Welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I was talking to a friend last night, late last night actually, about a homily that we mutually heard on an EWTN Mass, and she quoted a phrase that no doubt you have all heard before, and which, at least intellectually, I agree with totally related to moral action in the world, and as a Catholic, or any Christian, I suppose, or maybe any religion whatsoever, or none at all is true, or a great piece of advice. That is, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. We live in a world of equivocation, and I don't know about you, but I find it exhausting, even maybe especially within my faith as a Catholic, to be guided in saying yes or no to any moral, theological, philosophical question with any confidence. Back in the day, you could argue it was simple, though it was pretty harsh. That is, in Catholic parlance, if you missed Mass on Sunday, mortal sin and hell all came to you without repentance, you were doomed. If you ate meat on Friday knowingly, then it was a mortal sin, hell. And without repentance, meaning confession, you were doomed. If you slept with anyone outside of marriage, that's a mortal sin. Hell was the result unless you repented, meaning you went to confession and you darn well stopped sleeping with that person, married or unmarried, on either side of the equation. There was, in those days, no discussion of the gay or straight aspect of things. Even before she and I talked, I was pondering today's podcast, but her phraseology, let your yes be yes and your no be no, really caught me in light of what I was pondering. It's really another example of what has become the traditional part of the Catholic Church versus the progressive part. And when you read, as I have been this week, various articles on what this phrase means, it breaks down to the usual conclusions, which, at least for me, are ultimately very often unsatisfying. Ultimately, as you will also see, each of us has to use our free will to take one position or the other and see if any of them merge and live and die and accept judgment from God, having hopefully not made a grievous mistake. And then the question becomes, was it an innocent mistake or was it willful misconduct? I borrow that phrase from my days as an ethics prosecutor. The idea was that a lawyer was responsible and should be prosecuted for misconduct, like failing to perform on a client's case, if by taking the steps he or she did, not by accident or mistake, but one after the other, knowing that the failure or the action would produce a poor result for the client and damage the client. In simple terms, it is like this image. You have a glass of water and you place it, despite seeing how dangerous it is, on the edge of a table where it naturally falls off. You say, it wasn't my fault. But in fact, when you placed it at the edge of the table, with every reason of gravity and distance to know that it could easily fall from there, that's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's an act for which you are responsible. Now, it's not a particularly horrible act. 
No great consequence comes therefrom, but you are responsible for it having happened, and you could have prevented it from happening. Now, if you went into your room, and it's in the dark, at night, you got up, you needed a glass of water, and you come into your bedroom, and you place it on your table, and it turns out you put it on the edge, even though you thought it was in the middle, it wasn't, it fell, you might be able to claim accident. Now, somebody else could argue, well, then, I suppose, you really should have turned on the light to place the glass, but I won't go there. Anyway, all this seemed directly relevant to the topic I was thinking about, which is one I had a personal relationship with as a child in the starkest terms, which is that there is no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. The Latin phrase is extra ecclesium nulla salus, no salvation outside of the Catholic Church, out of the Church. I've told you that my father was then not a practicing Catholic. In fact, at the time, he wasn't practicing anything, though he was nominally Greek Orthodox. My mother was nominally Catholic, but I saw a few signs of her practice of it, though she blessedly put me on the road to Catholicism by sending me to Catholic school. In the 1960 to say 1965 Catholicism that I was experiencing at the time, my father was surely not going to be saved. My mother, that might have been more complicated for me intellectually, but my understanding, even at that, was her lack of practice meant, she didn't go to Mass for the most part, that would have her outside of salvation as well. Like all things Catholic, the phrase, no salvation outside of the Church, got a revamp. The ultimate question, again, may well be whether that revamp was or is the work of the Holy Spirit, along with all the other things that get questioned that were once unchangeably certain, or we thought were, or to the extent that we accept and implement the revamps, whether we are making a mistake or are willfully culpable of a sin. I'm admitting up front. I just haven't got the intellectual or moral goods to say an absolute yay or nay on any of it. But as always, I am presenting the problem, which I see for myself and I assume from the divide within the church, others have seen or are seeing as well, and how I'm trying to accommodate myself to it. And the really frustrating, anxiety-producing part for me is that I'm a person who has always particularly craved certainty, looked for places where I could find it, which in the course of my life became less and less, and was devastated that I can no longer find it except where someone arbitrarily determines to say that something is certain over here that isn't certain everywhere else. Whatever one could say in the negative about the good old days of the Catholic faith, you had certainty on all counts for all people in the faith. As I said, you did this, it's a sin. You repented or you didn't. And if you didn't, you were putting yourself over the pit of hell. I sometimes wonder if I would have done better emotionally if Vatican II had never happened. But I am now compelled to navigate in perpetual uncertainty, perpetuated, alas, by my own society and my own church. Now, by the way, there were other denominations, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and some Protestant sects, that would tell you today that if you aren't with them, you are outside of salvation. So the idea isn't new, and it still has pockets of definitive assertion. As to the Catholic view, it has, as I said, gone from somewhat clear-cut, actually 
that's something I realized as I was doing some reading, it was somewhat clear-cut to a kind of real loud level of it depends, which is also something we lawyers generally give as an answer to legal questions. I suppose psychologists do the same thing, given the pressures on us that have only, in my view, increased in modern times. So, what does no salvation outside the church mean? If you talk to some theologians, arguably the progressive ones, you will hear one answer. If you talk to those who say, it's settled, read traditionalists, then you'll hear another. Let me put it another way. If you ask the traditionalist if there is salvation outside of the church, meaning the Catholic Church, he or she will say a categorical no with a loophole, I think, of invincible ignorance, which means you never heard of Jesus or the church. And if you ask a progressive, he or she will say yes, with a, again, a kind of it depends on a whole slew of things. So on the one side, it's negotiable. On the other side, nope, nope, non-negotiable. This debate got really hot in religious circles and even in some of the secular press when Bishop Robert Barron talked with one of my favorite thinkers and commentators of the Jewish faith, Ben Shapiro, in an interview in 2018. I just today listened to that section pretty carefully, I hope, before this podcast, so I wasn't just selecting what suited me on this subject. Ben Shapiro was very blunt. He admitted that for himself, he did not really care about the answer, suggesting that he's very comfortable with his choice to remain Jewish and one of the attendant beliefs that the Messiah is yet to come and is not Jesus Christ. But he said he gets the question all the time, so he was going to ask the awkward one. He asked, what is the Catholic view on getting to heaven? He said he felt he led a pretty good life. He tried to keep the Ten Commandments and, by the way, the 603 other commandments in the Jewish faith. He asked if he were basically, and this is his word, screwed. Now, I have to say, a favorite of mine also is Bishop Barron. I think that he is relatively conservative, although lately he's been attacked for not being so because of his dare we hope that no one is in hell and because of this very comment that he made that I'm going to talk about. He went back to the Second Vatican Council, which you remember is only in the 1960s, and he said that Vatican II very clearly says that Jesus is the privileged route to salvation. Jesus gave his life to give us all eternal life, all of us, all human beings, past, present, and future. Someone outside the faith can be saved by the grace of Christ, coming from Christ, received according to your sincere conscience. That is not, he insisted, a complete relativism. The root remains Jesus. So an atheist of goodwill can be saved. I may be following him, even if I know it not. And then he talked about God being based on love, and that we are drawn, all of us, into divine love, that we do have to accept that love, trust in that divine love, and we are called to be fully engaged in response to that love, and that grace requires cooperation. God is not competitive with us. He invites our response a life of love, cooperation with love. Love means willing the good of the other. You can say that someone is acting repugnantly out of love. Now, tolerance is not necessarily love. You can call someone out in love. He quotes Dostoevsky and says, real love is a harsh and dreadful thing. Now, 
that kind of still left me with a question. If real love is a harsh and dreadful thing, then is it a failure of that love not to say that salvation is in fact only within the church and acceptance of Jesus Christ and his act of redemption is also a requirement? On the other hand, I'm reminded of an exchange in the Keys of the Kingdom, which I have said is among my favorite movies. And here is an exchange that occurs in the early part of the movie where the young priest, Father Chisholm, has been called to the office of the rector because one of the teachers says that he is engaging in misconduct in the classroom. Father Chisholm arrives in the office and he says, have I done something wrong, Father? The rector says, something unforgivable. You, I've forgotten what exactly. And then the teacher says, merely an additional example of what seems to be a general mental disobedience in you. The rector asks, just what was it specifically, Father? The answer, during my instruction, I referred to the one true and apostolic religion. He saw fit to question this description. The rector says, well... Father Chisholm says, he's not yet Father Chisholm, he's seminarian Chisholm at this point. My question was meant as a question, Father. I asked whether God set an exclusive value on creed, since it was such an accident of birth. The rector says, the answer to your question is yes. If you watch the movie, you know that the rector becomes the bishop, and he has always loved this young man who becomes a priest and sees him as a holy young man. And so, having called him on the carpet and asked him the question and told him the answer, he asks, have you done any fishing lately? The bishop doesn't explain in the movie, obviously. He says, yes, God does set exclusive value on creed, but he doesn't say it in a way that's not loving. He says it in a very wonderfully charitable way. I couldn't help but notice that in Bishop Barron's answer that he refers back only as far as Vatican II, and that's one of the critiques by the traditionalists among us, that there is a whole history of teaching, of councils, of what the Church Fathers said in early centuries, and there is, at least in this interview, no mention of them. You have a number of the Church Fathers, it is said, Ignatius of Antioch, Justin Martyr, Clement, Origen, up to Augustine in the 5th century, making it pretty clear that outside the Catholic Church there is no salvation, at least in the quotes that I have read. I have to say, I've read some of the Church Fathers, but hardly enough to really get a full flavor. Now, the Fourth Lateran Council in the 13th century had it at that, quote, there is but one universal church of the faithful, outside of which no one at all is saved. In 1442, before the discovery of the New World, the Council of Florence made it clear that anyone outside the church could not be saved unless they became part of the church. But then, history and mankind does its thing, and it turns out, thanks, by the way, to EWTN and an article by Father William Most that helped me get a sketch of the history for a big topic discussed herein in a short podcast, which suggests that all need to read the nuanced history to get a flavor of the enormity of any theological problem we have faced, are facing, and will facing, including in this area of outside the church there is no salvation, which complicate matters. The Columbus and other expeditions show that there was a large world out there that people didn't know of it, 
and a bunch of peoples that might not have gotten the word about Catholic teaching, which I suppose is the reason for evangelization in the early days and even today. And even back in the areas where there is the foundation of the church, some folks like Luther and then many consequent ministers who agreed or disagreed with him threw up other ideas leading to how many denominations just saying in the United States, like 200? And then you have the non-Christian religions, the ones that preceded Catholicism and other denominations of Christianity, like the Jewish faith, and all those ancient Eastern religions that the Church Fathers had never heard of. Father Most, in his article, suggests as best as I can understand it that there was, even in some of the most restrictive views of some of the Church Fathers, a broader sense that it might be, I don't want to use the word okay, that's not how they expressed it, but it might not be a problem under certain conditions for someone not to be of the Catholic Church. Here's a quote from Pius IX. Most suggests a kind of dual but not mutually exclusive view of being saved even outside the church in the year 1863. As I said, he says that Pius IX stressed, quote, both the broad view and the need of membership. This is the quote from Pius IX. In a God, in his supreme goodness and clemency, by no means allows anyone to be punished with eternal punishments who does not have the guilt of voluntary fault. But it is also a Catholic dogma that no one outside the Catholic Church can be saved and that those who are contumacious against the authority of the same Church and definitions and who are obstinately separated from the unity of this church and from the Roman pontiff, successor of Peter, to whom the custody of the vineyard was entrusted by the Savior, cannot obtain eternal salvation. Father Most writes that Pius IX doesn't deny the obligation to formally enter the church if one knows the truth, which would be considered indifferentism, but he still could give a very broad statement which means that if one keeps the moral law as he knows it, somehow the other requirements will be met, though the Pope does not explain how. And then Father Most quotes Pope Pius XII in 1949. It is not always required that one be actually incorporated as a member of the Church, but this at least is required, that one adhere to it in wish and desire. It is not always necessary that this be explicit, but when a man labors under invincible ignorance, God accepts even an implicit will called by that name because it is contained in the good disposition of soul in which a man wills to conform his will to the will of God. And then Father Most goes back to some other quotes of the Church Fathers and their allusions to something a little less restrictive and condemnatory than what we are sometimes told or think we're being told. There are these two ideas. One is called invincible ignorance, which in its most simplistic aspect is that, as I said earlier, you never heard of Jesus and the church, so you won't be thrown into hell just because you didn't have the chance to know him. That's kind of what, what Father Chisholm is saying in the Keys of the Kingdom. If you have an accident of birth and you are born either into no faith or some faith that isn't Catholic, and you have no opportunity to know anything else, then you still can be saved. But then there's this thing called vincible ignorance. Now there, you're going to have a potential problem. 
You are aware of the church, or you have had information about the church, and though you do and you could simply by applying reason given your context, your situation, acquire belief and become part of the church, you choose voluntarily with complete knowledge not to. That's kind of the same as the reasonable person standard in the law. The same thing I mentioned before with lawyers who get into trouble for things in their practices. If they knew or could have known what they did was wrong or what they failed to do was wrong, think in our religious sense of the confidior asking for forgiveness for what we have done and what we have failed to do, it has to be with knowledge that we are doing or failing to do it. Then there is culpability and then there is repercussion. So again, in that favorite movie of mine, Father Chisholm's atheist friend, who has a wonderful heart, who has helped his friend along their lives, has saved many lives as a doctor, who goes to his friend in China to help him in the work that he himself does not even believe in, is on the brink of death, and he tells his friend that he still doesn't believe. Is that vincible or invincible ignorance? It's easy to say that it is vincible and the poor character is in hell, but now... This is just me, no official theology being posited, that though he had the information, was educated, his ignorance is still invincible. Sometimes I think that the more intelligent and learned a person is, the more likely that he or she can't really apply reasonable diligence in making a decision for or against the faith or any faith. There's so much information coming at the person. A lot, if you are applying your intellect in a sincere way, as the church does say, seems potentially reasonable. I have a friend, an elderly friend, an Irish lady, Catholic all her life, who has several adult kids, most of whom do not practice the faith, with all the education and exposure from her, from their education in Catholic schools, that they had to do it. She is assiduously Catholic. But once she said to me about my own education as a Catholic, because I was talking about something, and by analogy, as I am of their generation, their situation, that she doesn't know what I know about the faith, the terms, the disputes, and doesn't want to. She just wants to believe simply. She has avoided the things that might take her away from the faith because of human nature, because of our disputes, whatever. And in some ways, you could say she's better off. Some people would take the elitist view that she's a fool, but I disagree. I think that without all the complications, it means that she hasn't got all the confusion. She has a truly simple, not simplistic, but a truly simple faith. Given the absolute barrage of information, of ideas, of treatises about our faith, people like me, people like you, it's not a surprise that we walk away or never join in because it requires an heroic effort to sort out the truth that is buried beneath a heap of that information. Like Father Chisholm, I have friends, many Catholic raised, who reject the faith. I can't assume that their rejection is purely arbitrary and without good faith in seeking truth. I would also suggest that invincible ignorance, and maybe other people have, I just haven't read it today, could have a subcategory called, say, psychological ignorance. People who have been 
deeply wounded by human beings, prelates or priests or nuns within the church, and there are, as you know, many of them. There are the Jews themselves, other faiths, lapsed Catholics. These people might literally be prevented psychologically from being or staying in the church. Jesus invites all of humanity to see him as the way, the privileged way, as it were, to salvation. Some do, some don't. It may be a matter of condemnation for some, but for many others, the pursuit of the truth is, by implicit reality, a pursuit of Jesus. I worry that the concept of an unconscious Catholic is a bit patronizing sounding, but I know quite a few people, not of my faith, practicing theirs, whom I would stand before God, I hope, and advocate for their being in heaven, with or without me, as I am a Catholic just as likely or not likely to sin as any other human being and end up not saved. Here's my personal take, that for me, having had the accident of birth or the gift from God to be Catholic, however that was appointed, divinely, I'm in more danger than anyone who does not believe or has another faith. Does that mean that I do not believe that the church I grew up in, left and came back to, does not have the fullness of the truth? I believe that my apostolate, if you will, is to present the faith to others because I have had the privilege of being given the truth as a gift, and it is a gift that I ought to bring to others, not by ranting or raging, but by a pure statement of its tenets. I cannot force the assent of others. If God does not, how can I? My view of myself is, having been accorded the privilege of the Catholic faith, knowing what I know, steeped in it all these years, then I would lose the salvation offered by that privileged way if I don't stay with it, and if I don't keep accepting and cooperating with the grace that God has given me. In some ways, I don't have to work as hard as the convert to be saved because I have all the tools already. For me, and arguably for others in my position, it is both a privileged and a non-negotiable way. For me to leave my faith would be a step backward, knowing as I do that the old covenant was fulfilled in Christ, that he is with us in the Eucharist, that he asks me to be faithful in that in which I was privileged to be born. In a way, that's why I admire converts, because I accept it because I was immersed in it. They have to overcome all sorts of other reasonable arguments and fight toward it. My job is to help others do that without rancor and recognizing that Jesus being the way, he does things his way with my cooperation, our cooperation or lack thereof. It's that cooperation from me that is the key and he'll decide what was the best level of cooperation in any other of his creatures. I am to will the good of others. And I'm holding a flashlight. God holds a flashlight for me as I go forward in my faith. And I hold a flashlight for others by how I act in the faith, which I believe is the fullness of the truth and which is the way to God and which the church teaches is the fullness of the truth. These are just some thoughts on a vexing topic from a really ordinary person who happens to be Catholic by the grace of God. We are each responsible for deciding whether we want to explore these subjects or not. So, my yes, I strive to make yes. 
I must be consistently Catholic, and this means salvation is for me, and I still believe for others, within the church, if it is anywhere. And the idea is like a Cardinal Newman, like an Edith Stein, that you do the work, that we all do the work to see whether that is true or not. And so ends a short summary of what I understand to be a big problem, another big theological question in religion, in the Catholic faith. And I guess I always say this, my goal is that we all explore together and individually the truth of our faith.